Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of this podcast and you're looking for something else to listen to, I strongly recommend you check out Borrowed from our good friends at the Brooklyn Public Library. It's a narrative podcast about superhero librarians, Brooklyn neighborhood stories, and what it means to be a free democratic space in a changing world. It's excellent. The storytelling is top notch, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. Just search for Borrowed, B-O-R-R-O-W-E-D, in your podcast app of choice, or look for it on the web at bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. My name is David, and this is The Big Shut-In. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2021, day 298 of The Shut-In. You know, thinking about this whole period of the past, whatever, it's been 10 months, there's a couple of different sort of flavors of major challenge that different ones of us have had to deal with and handle in all of this. And the first one, the most obvious one is, is illness. Some people have gotten very, very sick, obviously, and died. And and that's terrible. And, And those of us who have stayed healthy and whose families have stayed healthy are, I think, feel very fortunate. And there's a number of people who have lost their jobs and become totally economically devastated. And those of us who are not in that boat also feel tremendously fortunate. But even for the rest of us who are relatively okay in all of this, there's been this radical logistical nightmare of just our entire lives kind of being reorganized all of a sudden and having to refigure out our whole schedules and all of our priorities and all of, you know, how we're going to, the tools that are going to be available to us to get through the day. And that's been particularly hard for those of us who care for others. We've talked a lot about the challenges of parenting through all of this, and there's an equal challenge for those people who are taking care of someone who is very elderly. My guest today is a wonderful woman named Naz, who has been for some time living alone uh, with her mother in Massachusetts. And while she has been her mother's primary caregiver for a number of years, she had, until COVID set in, been able to make use of a lot of professional help in this regard. There were nurses who would come in and help care for her mother's intimate needs. Um, Friends and neighbors would come and help and visit and keep them company. And she had built, as anyone would in that situation, a care team around her mother. But then the door slammed shut on both of them, as it did on all of us. And she found herself really alone with her mother and having to learn to care for her 
in all of the ways that all of the people who had been helping to care for her were doing and to do it all by herself. And then also had to deal with the death of her mother alone and in this situation. That's a heck of a thing. It's a heck of an ask. It takes what's already an enormous burden and turns it into kind of a superhuman one. She's able to use her her faith and her natural good humor and love and sense of sense of duty to her family and her loved ones and maintain a kind of equilibrium through all of this that I honestly find extraordinary. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Here's Nas. So how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful, sunny, warm day outside. So I'm doing very well, considering everything that's going on in our country and in the world. So if you could, maybe start just by telling us a little bit about yourself. Where, where are you from originally? Where, where do you live now? All right. Um, I am from Pakistan, and I arrived to the U.S. in uh, early 1977. So it is dating me. To go to school, to Mount Holyoke, and then to UMass, and and then just got married and raised my family and lived in this um, in this vicinity since then. Have not. That's moved the year. Long. That's the year I was born, actually, nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, and it is where I raised my family, got married, and dug my roots. So it was important for me, having left Pakistan to be in an area where I was connected and, you know, sort of became home. Well, let's talk about your mother and her situation, maybe how, how it was before COVID became a complicating factor and sort of what her situation was and, and, and your, your decision to take care of her and how that worked. Maybe start okay. there and then we can talk about how it was complicated last year, perhaps. Okay. It all started many, many years ago, you know, when uh, I was also part of taking care of my father uh, long distance when they were living in Canada. And he passed away in early 2001. And then 2008, it became apparent that she could not stay by herself alone at home anymore in Canada. So, and my situation had also changed. I was a single parent by that time. And so we decided, and she agreed willingly that she would relocate and live, and we would live together in the U.S. So that's how she came in the early 2008. And uh, since then, we've lived together. Uh, The first couple of years, I worked full time. And because she was still able to be left alone and she was independent and safe enough. And then gradually, I took early retirement about seven or eight years ago, realizing that it made no sense for me to hire other people to take care of her. And there was it, it was a natural transition in my professional life to take early retirement at that time. What was your profession, Naz? I was an early childhood educator, and I uh, developed and ran a program for families with young children from birth to four in you know, socialization, literacy, and sort of, it was part of the school systems. And, and how many children do you have, if I can ask? I have one son uh-huh. who is um, in his 30s. And uh, mm-hmm. So tell me about 
how then, and, and so it's my understanding then also that your, your mother then became ill in the last few years. Her illness was just old age. Thank goodness she had no other medical issues. And from what I was told recently that illness at old age is an illness by itself nowadays because of its um, own complications without any medical uh, problems of heart or diabetes or other kinds of issues. 100% fatality rate from old age. Uh, eventually. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, what, um, so tell me about the two of you then were living uh, alone, I assume, uh, at the beginning of last year. Yeah. So, yes, we have been living together alone, um, in, you know, together in this current house since 2008. And we bought this house um, exclusively for her convenience. She had the ability to move around on this floor and be as independent as possible. So, so tell me about the beginning of last year, let's say February, March, when we were all kind of realizing that this was that COVID was going to change our lives. Tell me about how how that realization came to you and, and how you guys entered lockdown and what that was like. Nobody at that time thought this would last so long and how it's going to change our lives. I remember towards the middle of March, sort of hearing about COVID and, and not realizing how it's going to impact me at all. The impact happened when there was a lot of... the guideline from the states from the you know the governor coming and saying that we have to do all these precautions and things like that and then slowly hearing a lot about the restrictions that's happening and it soon became apparent that i could not safely allow all her home care people to keep come to come in into the house and take care of her so what were these sort of new responsibilities you were having to take on about your mother's care okay it was 24-7 care. And I think the major difference was that I had to go back on being hands-on with her for everything. And it just so happened that her health also sort of started deteriorating at the same time. So my day, let me tell you what my day looked like. You know, she would wake up in the morning, I would get her ready from the bed to the bathroom and, you know, get her ready for the day and then get her ready for breakfast, sit with her because by that time she was aspirating. So I had to make sure that she uh, ate carefully. Then she would finish her breakfast and we would go and sit down. And every step of the way, she needed help at that time. And for washing, for bathing, for uh, reminding her to drink her water, which was always a struggle, and basically shadowing her and cueing her for what she needs to be done. With the home care that came prior to lockdown, I would have about three or four hours twice or thrice a week that I could go and do all my errands and leave the house and have her be safe. So since lockdown, since the 1st of April till September, when she went into hospice, I was with her 24-7. And I remember going out of the house only three or four times during that period for a medical appointment, basically. How did you 
if you were completely unable to leave her alone and the two of you were unable to leave the house, how did you do things like get supplies and, and get, you know, get the food and medicine, things that you needed? One neighbor in particular and a few of my friends took over shopping for me every week. That which was the hardest to let, you know, to figure out a shopping list because I would go, you know, previously I would just go and pick what I needed. But here I had to be very deliberate and very precise about what I needed so, to make it easier for them. So that was very, very helpful. They did that. And then everything from, you know, from medication to shopping to groceries to just even coming and saying hello. I mean, that's the other thing that I think so many of us went through was um, the sort of forced isolation. Like even if you're stuck in with someone you love and care about, to be only with that person or those people is a different life than most of us were living. I mean, did how did you deal with that kind of, I mean, boredom, <laughs> you know, monotony, I mean, are tough, aren't they? Yes. Um it was tough. I had my moments of uh, breakdown and getting irritated and losing it. Yes, I had those moments of, you know, and, um, but luckily, mom was a very easy person to take care of. She uh, was not demanding as uh, at all. And she was very um, cooperative. So that helped a lot. And the way I looked justified it or helped me take care of her is that if, if I don't do the best right now, then the possible consequences could be more difficult and more dire. So it's better to take the care now than to have to face what could, what could happen. You know, just for example, I had to put a chair alarm because she was independent enough to get up, but not stable enough to walk by herself which prior to that without the alarm there were times she would fall which meant that she either had to go to the hospital or you know take care of her in that way so I had to make use of all these devices and help to make it easier uh, to make it safe. Was she able to understand the lockdown and sort of what was going on and um, the inability to go out. How did you explain that to her? Luckily, prior to that, her ability to go out was had become pretty limited. So the last time prior to lockdown was during Christmas. We went out for a fam, you know, friends' lunch, and I would take her out when the weather was good for a little ride in the uh, in our neighborhood in her wheelchair. So it wasn't anything different for her in terms of not being able to go out. But I must say, she did wonder why people were not able to come inside the house and drink tea with her or have a meal that we used to do so frequently prior to that. And the excuse was they've got a cold or they've got this or they've got that or they just want to sit outside because it was nice. Um, the weather was nice. I would have all my friends come and visit on our deck at least two or three times a week so that we could have our some social interaction. And mom would sit um, in her chair and I would have the deck door open so we would communicate through, uh, through that way. So, and then I think with her deteriorating uh, mental and physical state, it was easier for her to accept. 
But I did have to be careful about limiting news because it was getting very confusing for her. And at one point she says, you know, do we need to have a sign outside our window saying that everything is okay? Then I asked her, what sign? She says, so that the police knows that we are safe here. And, you know, so those kinds of confusion was happening towards the, uh, the, you know, the last six, um, five, six months of her life. So I had to limiting all news. We only watched National Geographic or nature shows or some PBS miniseries that was very pleasant. So, yes, I did have to, uh, you know, make a lot of changes in my life to accommodate her. Tell me about the change then that happened, I believe you said, sort of in September, when you were no longer able to provide the things she needed, hospice had to get involved. Correct. Tell me about that shift and, and how things happened then. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the major change with COVID for mom was that she stopped eating much. I mean, her intake, food intake and liquid intake was reduced from, you know, half and then to quarter. And by September, I realized that I needed professional support and help to take care of her in the way that she needed to. And um, yeah, and then her PC had already been telling me that, you know, it's time and my friends had and my son and, you know, the family had already been telling me and I was resisting thinking that I could. But I think the thing that convinced me was when I could no longer give her a bath safely. But when I realized that I could not and she didn't have the physical strength or the ability, that's when I realized that I needed help. And through the doctor, we we got hospice um, involved, and that was the best thing that happened. It enriched her life and mine to be able to take care of her in the way that she could be taken care of. And I had to let go of it so that the quality was improved. Um, I mean, I have to, I think, hospice nurses. I think if there, if there are angels on this planet, they work as hospice nurses. They're uh, amazing humans. Were there challenges because of COVID in acquiring that care and getting getting her that care while keeping yourself safe? Because you're not a young person either, and you know exposing yourself is dangerous. What were the challenges there? One of the biggest challenges that I faced at COVID was to get extra help with mom, especially when she was not able to self-help or be more ambulatory. The home care that I chose, the agency was is very well known. It's a small agency, but very, very e- efficient, very compassionate, and very ethical, and sort of very sort of uh, mindful, and I think spiritually based. Granted, it took a while, be- but when it did uh, come into place, it was the best thing that could have happened, and uh, that is the first time that. I had to start wearing the mask at home and uh, making sure that I aired the house, you know, and then we, I set up a, um, a little table in the front, uh, at the front door with the sanitizers and um, masks and, you know, um, disposable gloves. And, uh, and basically I had to trust 
the agency that they were doing their due diligence in making sure that they uh, provided safe care at home. Wow. That's, I mean, that's such a huge, that's a lot. That must have been exhausting. That is the blessing of my community. My neighbors, a couple of dear friends volunteered to come and help, committed themselves to help for the last two months, practically, in the morning and at nighttime, on those days when hospice could not come and help out. So my friends helped in with physically holding her up or, you know, walking with her and helping her transfer from the chair to the to the bed and in the bathroom. I mean, I'm so thankful. These friends are young friends. They have families. They have children. They have work. And one of them was, had unknown to her, was just starting her pregnancy. So it was a challenge, but they committed themselves to coming to, you know, seven days a week. So I, yeah, I had a lot of support. I would not have been able to do it if it wasn't for my community and my friends and my family. There's no question about that. It must be hard. It's something I think about a lot, actually, is my own, I watch my own mother getting older. Mm. And her facilities are still very much, you know, but it's only a matter of time, you know, and I, it must be very hard to see that second, that second infancy, that Benjamin Button, you know, cycle of, and and to see the woman who raised you and now you have to parent that person, that must be very emotionally challenging. Yes, it was very emotionally challenging. And I think what really helped me was um, this was many years ago when my father was was in the similar situation. I remember I still remember very distinctly being with him in the ER and having to, you know, sort of to change him and realizing that, oh, my God, he's just like my son, who was about three or four at that time, that I'm cleaning him like I do my son. And I think that helped me understand that this is just uh, a part of life that I have to accept. What really helped me is flipping my mindset to knowing that she is a child in a grown-up body. And, and the fact that, you know, with children, they become more and more independent as days go by. But with her, it was, she's becoming more and more dependent on me and unable to take care of herself. And it, it really made it easy emotionally to make that mental switch in my, in my mind about uh, taking care of them. Granted, it was not easy. It was not easy at all. But now that it is over, I'm so glad that I was able to do it the way I did because regrets is something that you can never overcome. And that was my rule of thumb for everything whenever I would get totally exhausted. Bless you for that. I mean, I, you know, I know uh, many people, myself included, who had the opposite situation. We were all of a sudden thrown into 24 seven childcare and, and, as much of a joy as it is to take care of my family, it was exhausting and unexpected. And it's amazing that you can look back on it with that much equipoise. Normally it would have, but because I 
was taking it as the sacred duty, part of my faith duty. It did not have that same kind of impact as it would have had otherwise, because my faith orientation is very important to me. Islam, which is my faith, is the attainment of inner and outer peace by willing submission of oneself to the will of God, knowingly and living a life that reflects that internalization and guidance that I receive. To me, Allah is the creator, the ruler, and the judge of all things. He is eternal. And as our creator, he has given us guides throughout humankind through his prophets to teach humanity about God and and his worship. The way I look at taking care of my parents as I did just in this past nine months is that it is next to the worship of God as it has been instructed in the Quran, which is our holy book. So that really helped me in accepting the fact that this is something that I was doing to please God as a form of worship and creating the sacred space. I mean, I was concerned and tired, but I didn't have the stress that I was in charge of everything. I knew that I was just a um, pawn in the greater plan that was laid out by, by God. Granted, I had no clue how long this would last. I didn't think it would last this long, but it helped me stay focused and not stressed out. I feel that as long as I do my best, then whatever the outcome is, is what it is meant to be. And there's always good in everything. We just have to know how to look for it and to accept it. When did your mother pass? December 3rd. And incidentally, it was what was after the fact and what was so comforting in the earthly uh, sphere is that it was her wedding anniversary that she uh, wow. that she passed on. Yeah, exactly. How have you been since? How has life been since now that, you know? I'm surprised at myself because I had no idea how I would adapt and adjust to, um, to living by myself. I mean, this is by myself. For the first time in my, you know, my life, sort of. I mean, before it was, uh, you know, after dad passed, mom was there. After my husband passed, mom was there. After my brother passed, mom was there. But after mom passed, no one's there. The fact that she went so peacefully and so gracefully and with so, so much ease and tranquility that it has spilled over to the home and to uh, my adjusting and coping. And then, of course, you know, my faith practice, you know, and has really helped. And my friends and my community and the family. It must be a, a shock to the system to go from a, a life where you are constant. I mean if you're caring for someone intimately like that, it never stops. There's always something else to do. And to now have, I imagine just sort of oceans of time to fill in your day, that must be kind of disconcerting. It's pretty bizarre. And the bizarrest thing is that, you know, I, my, the biggest change in my life after mom's passing was my sleep pattern. 
because uh, previously it used to be, you know, uh, pretty late at night because she was a night bird and then uh, sleeping in. So the biggest change I realized uh, was that I was waking up with, uh, with my morning prayer, which is at daybreak, and then not being able to sleep. And previously I would get anxious, you know, why can't I sleep? So I got up and made my breakfast at, you know, 6, 6.30 in the morning. Which was, I think, the biggest realization is that there's nobody in the house to bother or to follow their routine. And a friend of mine asked me, you know, Naz auntie, what's your routine? I said, my routine is no routine, which is, which is sort of bizarre. But after a month, I'm sort of getting bored with it. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing to fill your day? What do you, are you... Um, the, there is so much. I don't know how my days go by. First of all, there was a lot of paperwork to be done with mom's, uh, you know, insurance and pension and those kinds of things. And then, you know, and then uh, all the outpouring of cards and phone calls and texts and messages and emails. So that kept me kept me busy. And then just trying to rearrange the house a little bit, just doing piddly, inconsequential things that I could never do before. For the first time yesterday, I cooked for myself because till now, I have my friends and neighbors have been bringing me food every day or every week. So that was wonderful. So, so yeah, I am slowly getting back to um, my routine. And hopefully soon when COVID is lifted, I can start my volunteer work and get involved with, uh, you know, the interfaith community and go back to, you know, activities in the mosque and and the community and socializing you know that was my next question is what do you see you know looking in the future for yourself i mean it doesn't seem to me like you're going anywhere for a long time you're, you seem very healthy and you know <laughs> like you, you have more to do what what do you have do you have plans you have ideas you have schemes um, notions at this point, I feel that I, you know, having been retired for so many years, I feel pretty inept with the technology advancements. And especially now with uh, everything being done on technology, I'm pretty challenged with uh, technology. So I don't know. You know, I'm just letting the chips fall where they do and um, and just go with them. Uh, my Previous to COVID, my first thought was that I would uh, travel. You know, I would travel back to Pakistan and go make my the pilgrimage to Mecca and go visit my relatives in Canada. But of course, that's not going to happen for a while. But thank goodness with Zoom and WhatsApp, I can be, you know, have the same contact with them. So I'm just taking it one day at a time and enjoying every day enjoying every day and open to suggestions. <laughs> I'll let <laughs> you know. I mean, I think if you're on WhatsApp, you can't be too technologically inept, you know, you're doing okay. It sounds like. Okay. Um, <laughs> I actually have a religious question for you based on something you said where you talked about, um, I think the phrase you used was willing submission to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that, is it harder to accept the will of God, to submit to the will of God in times of tremendous challenge like this? Is it harder to say, all right, great, this is a plan, it's part of the plan, when so much is happening that's such a challenge? To me, it's just the opposite. 
because it takes the control or the ownership of your life out of your hands with the submission that it it's entirely in his hand we only do our best within our limited abilities and circumstances and uh, i think the biggest relief for me is that i'm not in control i'm not in charge i only do the best i can the ultimate um, conclusion or the ultimate um, goal is in the hands of somebody of uh, you know in the hands of the creator who who created me and who knows what is best for me i may not know that and that's the willing submission well i think i think we could wrap there i i think nas i have to say i think you're lovely and i've so enjoyed talking <laughs> to you and meeting you thank you so much for giving me that opportunity thank you for asking me these questions and giving me the opportunity to hear myself because it helps me also move forward it was a wonderful experience and then if it wasn't for covid i would never have had this quality one on one time with mom taking care of her exclusively which was very enriching experience in my life and it, you know just is something that i will always cherish Uh, for the rest of my life knowing that i was able to provide her that comfort in her uh, last months in her life this has been the big shut in my name is david hoffman and i produced the show along with tanya mohammed it was edited by garrett tiedemann the show is a production of race car radio racecarradio.com you can find new episodes there as well as anywhere you get podcasts. Please subscribe. You can also interact with us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash thebigshutin. If you have a story that you think would be a good fit for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, thebigshutin at racecarradio.com. <laughs>